Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it. We back it. Social psychologist Amy Cuddy is an expert in body language and is perhaps best known for Power Pose, the second most watched TED Talk of all time. Amy is also the author of Presence, bringing your boldest self to your biggest challenges. But most recently, she's been writing about how the latter stages of the pandemic are affecting people. Amy Cuddy, you're welcome to Reignite. Tell me first about what's now been called Pandemic Flux Syndrome. Pandemic Flux Syndrome is the state that a lot of people are experiencing right now, where we thought we were sort of emerging from it. Uh, And when you look at data in the US, at least from mid-June, people looked very happy and optimistic. Uh, And then by mid-July, people started to report, you know, spikes in anxiety and depression and unexpected flatness of feeling. So they might go have dinner with friends and not feel as euphoric as they had expected to at this point. Along with that comes this desire to either dramatically change something about our lives or to just kind of shut down for a little while. And both of those reactions are about the desire to flee. It's caused by our nervous systems being just, just exhausted and depleted. When we're at the beginning of a crisis, our bodies use something called surge capacity to get us through it. That gets depleted and it needs to be restored or recharged. And we really haven't had an opportunity to do that, along with the disappointment of the Delta variant emerging. And people thought they would be euphoric when they finally got together with friends again, only to find that they don't feel quite as happy. So it just captures this experience that a lot of people are having right now where they're feeling worse than they were feeling a few months ago. Like the United States here in Ireland, we're reopening various parts of our economies. Hopefully our schools are coming back in a matter of weeks. But also there is the prospect of non-essential workers returning to offices. And so I think people are at a point now where they're having to think about in-person presentations, doing pitches again, public speaking. And we find ourselves, and I speak even personally, starting to kind of check in on where my confidence levels are to go back to some of that so-called old normal. And you're someone who coined the whole concept of the power pose in a very, very famous, still the most second watch TED talk of all time. What you were trying to teach us then, and I think now, is still about positioning yourself, carrying yourself in a way that is more open. Yes, I I think of it now as expansive because I I think expansive has more of an infinite quality to it, right? Mm -hmm. Because as we expand our world expands, opportunities expand, you know, our, our brains become more expansive in how they think about problems. So yeah, the idea is that we know that power is associated with being more expansive, you know, opening up our shoulders, you know, chests are open, our limbs are away from our torsos. When we are feeling powerless, we do the opposite. We wrap ourselves up and make ourselves small. We touch our necks and our faces you know, we're more likely to slouch and take shorter strides. All of those things are ways in which we either expand, leading to fe- feeling powerful, or contract, leading to feeling powerless. You know, you can make sure that your posture is upright and open, that you're speaking slowly and taking pauses, because that's about expanding temporally, right? That you're breathing deeply and slowly, which is also about expansiveness. All of those things we know 
cause us to feel more powerful, more assertive, more in charge, even more optimistic and happy. Our approach system is activated. So we approach these challenges, not as threats, but as opportunities. You know, we see other people in these challenging situations, not as predators, but as potential collaborators. I think most importantly, when we feel powerful, we're more likely to, to act, to take action on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of others. So we're even more likely to help people in need when we feel more powerful. As you were explaining all of that, Amy, I, my memory was being triggered so many times to the moment out in a waiting room before you go in for an interview and having to tell yourself, right, pull the shoulders down, exactly. put the smile on, put the head back, walk with confidence. And I often have to tell myself, and I'm sure others will think of this, of just fake it, <laughs> you know, fake it until you can make it. But you would actually say that's the wrong mantra for us. Well, I say fake it till you become it, because <laughs> I, I always felt that, that the fake it till you make it idea is about tricking other people into believing you're something you're not, and then you get there and say you you get the job, you're still faking it. When you fake it till you become it, you're not tricking anyone else. You're, you're not pretending to be competent in a way that you're not, or pretending to be, you know, to have skills that you don't have. You're tricking yourself into feeling that you are more confident, that you deserve to be in that interview, that you deserve to have that job. And what happens eventually over time is that people start to become that person, the, the, the more confident person. They, they're not changing their skills or their competencies. They're just changing their ability to access those things when they need to in those challenging situations. So they say over time, you know, incrementally when they practice this, eventually they say, I became that person, that best version of myself more of the time. Because ultimately, if we're constantly approaching be it interviews, the promotions, the tricky conversation maybe with the teenager, the performance review with a manager where we're pitching that concept. So what you say to people is just be present. Now, define presence for me and, and give me an example of what that actually truly means. I talk about presence in situations that people find especially challenging, which are, as you just said, the stakes feel high and you know you're being socially evaluated. Obviously, a job interview, uh, you know, pitching an idea, interpersonal conflict. I mean, giving giving negative feedback, receiving negative feedback. All of those are these kinds of situations where the stakes feel really high and where you know you're being socially judged. What happens is people do tend to approach those situations with dread. And dread is about projecting yourself into a future that's already gone wrong, right? <laughs> it's already gone poorly. And, and so I ask people, you know, can you approach that instead with a sense of confidence and composure and not be anxious and distracted during the interaction? And presence for me then is about being able to access that very best, kindest and strongest version of yourself in those challenging moments when, when you're least likely to be able to do that easily. It's not a permanent state, presence. Everyone's human, we're gonna be distracted, but if we could harness that feeling of presence in those moments, what we find is that not only do people sort of perform better, but they're more likely to leave that situation feeling satisfied. Presence allows us to show people who we are. They see it, we believe what we're saying, we buy what we're selling, we're able to be confident, but not arrogant, 
And we even communicate in a way that's more harmonious, where the words that we're saying, the emotions we're conveying with our words match the emotions that we're conveying with our body language. And that's presence. And those, those variables are great predictors of who does well in venture capital pitch competitions or who does well in a job interview. I've seen you given speeches with a slide that begins, let's teach our daughters to expand. And you follow it then with three suggestions. Can you remind us of what those are? What I encourage people to do is make sure that we're not even inadvertently sending our daughters signals that they should take up less space, but that we should teach them to take up space, to uh, to share their ideas more freely, you know, to not be afraid to you know, raise their hand and get in there and kind of put themselves out there. What we see in in research on body language is that men expand much more than women physically. They take up more space through their body language. But when you look at little kids, you don't see that difference between boys and girls until around middle school. What we find though, is when we show kids images of the same neutral doll, like a wooden artist doll, in an expansive or contractive pose. They think that the expansive one is a boy and the contractive one is a girl. We're showing them a lot of imagery that sort of conveys that that girls take up a little bit less space. Some parents even feel that it's safe to tell them to do that because they, they know that other people might be offended if the girls take up more space. And so they think that they're protecting them by saying, be careful, you know, you don't wanna be too bossy or too loud. You know, my message is let's let them do what they what they wanted to do, you know, when they, when they were six years old, uh, taking up just as much space as the boys. So, you know, I want us to encourage all all of our kids to do that, but be really mindful of w- what we're telling our daughters. Thank you so much, Amy Cuddy, for joining us on Reignite. Thank you so much for having me.